That's what I'm talking about. Wait. Okay, now, from the beginning. Welcome to BX, Beyond Stereotypes, a podcast about lawyers using their authentic voices to change the world. Welcome to BS Beyond Stereotypes. I'm your host, Merle Vaughn. Here to BS with me today is Mega Parikh, whose story I find fascinating and who will no doubt inspire all of you to embrace your authenticity. Hi, Mega. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Good, good. So let me just tell our audience a little bit about you. Um, Your title is Senior VP and Chief Legal Officer for the Jacksonville Jaguars football team. Um, You attended Harvard undergrad and finished in three years. No no overachieving there. Um, Attended law school at Harvard as well and then started out out of law school at Proskauer. Uh, as an M&A and finance uh, lawyer, and I think you were there for about three and a half years. Did I miss anything? Nope, that's it. Cool. So, um, and I should also add that you are the the uh, head of legal for the All Elite Wrestling <laughs> team as well. So, yes. I mean, there is so much to unpack here that I just would love to just just jump right in. Is that okay with you? Let's do that. That's how I like to approach most things. So that's perfect. Awesome. So I guess my, my first question for you is, can, can you just give us a little idea of uh, where you grew up, how you were raised and you know, how that helped form who you are today? Sure. I I love starting with that question because the, I often say that you cannot pick where you were born. That is just a coin flip. And my parents are amazing, amazing parents. So they came here in the 1970s from India. Um, Love to tell my brother and I constantly about how they had no money when they came here and didn't know the language, but just had to figure things out. Um, So they first came here, moved to Hoboken, are flummoxed by the gentrification that's happened because all they wanted to do when they came here was, was leave. And uh, I grew up in the suburbs in Jersey, um, and we were growing up pretty much the only Indian family around in in town um, and at public school where I was. Most most of the people were um, Italian or Jewish, so grew up really with you know a interesting mix of what felt like conservative parents, but they did move seven thousand miles away from home to a new country to start a life on their own um, versus trying to sort of assimilate to American culture and navigate my way as sort of a first generation through that. My parents always emphasized and still to this day emphasize education. So Mm -hmm. I have an older brother. It was tremendously important to them that, you know, we both were educated, both planned on going to college and then both, you know, got some sort of postgraduate degree. We, growing up, weren't allowed to put books on the floor because that was disrespectful to the books. And so that's just an example of the sort of value that they put on education. Um, And then, you know, my parents were also really 
education was first. That was the most important thing. But they were also open to us, you know, doing other things and becoming more well-rounded. So I remember on Father's Day when I was nine years old, my dad bought me a drum set. He must have just been mad at my mom or something. <laughs> but <laughs> they did buy me a drum set. They both encouraged me to play guitar, to dance. And, you know, then they realized that I didn't necessarily like doing things that were quote unquote traditionally feminine. It was it was an adjustment, but they did come around to uh, to embrace that as well. So I grew up helping my dad remodel all parts of the house. And my brother would uh, would be the one helping my mom in the kitchen cooking. And he's still a great cook to this day. I was looking at your um, your uh, journey and it reminded me of mine. I started out at Cooley right out of uh, law school. I was an M&A or, or venture capital um, uh, lawyer. I lasted about three and a half years like, like you did. And I'm just wondering you know, what prompted that, um, that exit for you? For me, it was just, it just felt like there was just too much FaceTime. Like, why, why does anybody care how long I'm there? uh, As long as I get the work done? Did you experience that as well? I did. I would say that even more than that, what was challenging for me was like, I graduated during the recession. Hmm. And I watched a lot of my classmates who thought that they were going into six-figure jobs either lose those jobs or get indefinitely deferred, and that was really stressful for them. So I think that in part, and I know that I talked a little bit about my parents, they're the hardest working people that I know, and I spent most of my 20s just trying to become financially independent and secure so that you know they could hopefully take a break, even though my dad is still to this day working and going, going into New York City. Um, mm-hmm. But... You know, I I probably in you know I approached it how I approached it. I don't necessarily have regrets, but I worked a lot and I burnt out by the end of it. Mm. I just I did, and I didn't really recognize that until later. But I was so concerned about making sure that I was doing a good job, making sure that I kept my job, um, especially at a time when I knew there wasn't a lot of transactional work going around. That that I probably went a little bit too far and worked a little bit too much. The other thing that I'll say is that there was just no. It really, so what I just said about, I will work anytime, but I won't work all the time. I was working anytime and all the time at the firm. Mm-hmm. And just depending on the partner, sometimes they, they were as good as anybody could have been to an associate. I really genuinely believe that. Like there was nothing that Proscar could have done to keep me, but I don't have breaks in my own personality. And so when you add in then New York City and then you add in law firm life, it just meant that I was working all the time. And it got to the point where I think my mom actually said to me at some point, she's like, you're, you, don't really have anything to talk about anymore besides work. And that was really like striking to me because like when your own mom tells you that you've gotten boring, <laughs> like you know that, that you've probably gotten a little bit boring. But yeah, and I, the other thing that I saw was that, you know, most of the, actually, I, I'd say most, I can't think of it outside, but I had most of the male partners have stay-at-home wives. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking and thinking, I don't know that anyone's going to be my stay-at-home wife. Um, and so I don't know how this model is going to work if what I want is to have a family at some point and, you know, to have kids and to, to have a true partner. It doesn't seem like this professional services environment is necessarily tailored for that. And so does it feel like prof- professional sports allows that? I, it's it's got to be stressful in its own way. You know, it is stressful in its own way, but people generally do work less. Some of that's a function of just, you know, there's, there's times of year that are very intense, right? Like right now with free agency or the draft coming up, but there's also times of year when it's lighter and more quiet. And in general, just in Jacksonville, I'd say that putting aside COVID, which has probably been the most busy that I've been since I started, 
unless there's something specific going on with an event, like most people tend to leave the office no later than like six. Um, a little bit different on the football side, just if you're, you know, a coach and, and it's the middle of the season, of course, but, but for the most part, there's a much greater work-life balance and sort of desire to enjoy a quality of life, um, overall. So I would be remiss if I did not ask you this question. My, my husband, Jeff is a huge football fan. Um, actually he's a, a, a diehard Washington football team, uh, okay. fan. um, but, but he, he said, okay, so make sure you mention that, you know, that they have the first pick in the draft. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we do. Which, which means that we had a really, really, really tough season, Horrible season. last year. Um, but yes, we have we have the first pick in the draft. We also have a new head coach in Urban Meyer, um, a new GM in Trent Polky, who's been in the league for years. And um, Urban and Trent's leadership, honestly, it's really incredible. After coming off of a rough season, they've immediately flipped the switch and the organization is totally energized. Um, coach Meyer actually took time to address the business staff uh, last week. And, um, you know, he he's really just his experience and leadership and thoughtfulness about how he approaches leadership are exciting to be around. Um, there's a lot to learn from him and I'm, I'm excited to be able to work with him now. And so speaking of which, will you, or are you involved in any of the, the draft negotiation or the free agency negotiations? So the player contracts, because they're part of a union, I think that sometimes people look at what the lawyer for the football team does and they think player contracts. The player contracts are actually one of the easiest things that we do because they're part of a union Mm. and the contract is um, collectively bargained. It's a standard form. So really they're just negotiating over numbers for the most part, but that's it. Um, And so the more complicated deals actually come when we have like unique sponsorship activations or, you know, we have contracts with vendors of everything from a pyro company to a guy who does stunt rigging for our mascot. And so it's actually not necessarily the player contracts that are interesting, but a lot of the other um, things that we undertake are. And then similarly on the wrestling side, like the talent, you know, are we tried to make a reasonable form. The talent don't negotiate all that much. It's some of the other things like our TV deal with um, Warner media that have been really interesting to work on in the last mm. year, naming rights, um, you know, this past year really has been consumed as it has for everyone with COVID protocols and trying to keep people safe. And thankfully a year later, even though it was scary at times and it's interesting being in Florida for sure, relative to other parts of the country, we've had events with fans Hmm. um, since August and there has been no known transmission at the facility, either on the wrestling side or on the football side Amazing. amongst staff or otherwise. And so we're really careful about it. I was, concerned in August about really wanting to make sure that, um, you know, we were doing the responsible thing and keeping people safe. And, and so far it has been. And then more than that, what's been great is knowing that people really, you know, needed to get out and needed something to do and needed something to help keep themselves sane. And hopefully we're, we're a small part of giving them entertainment and keeping them happy. Amazing. So you, I, you said earlier that you weren't always the typical, uh, girl uh and and uh didn't necessarily like the girly things do you actually like sports i do i really do and so for me you know i'm i'm introverted generally and so i need something to be able to connect with people i can't i'm just not very good at like like the kind of people that can walk into a room and just be a cold networker and make the other person feel like warm and welcome and enjoy the conversation and engage that just 
to be totally honest, that's just not me. Like I just can't See, do that's it. That's shocking. I if I walk into a room full of people, I want to go stand in the corner by myself for the most part. Um, and so I need something to be able to uh, connect with people. And I would watch my older brother. He he is that. He's that sort of naturally warm person. We joke that he's sort of like the mayor um, of the town that they're in. And he would often use sports as a way to talk to people. So I remember we were going to like get a new car as a family or something. My brother and I were sitting there bored in the waiting room. And I just see my brother walking around talking to all of the other adults that are sitting around about the hockey game and whatever else was on at the time. And I remember thinking, okay, that's, you know, it's interesting. Like that's a good way for me to one, spend time with him, but two, to be able to connect with other people. So I, you know, you can, it's easier for me to start a conversation with someone if we're both sitting there watching the Yankees than it is just to start a conversation with someone. Um, and then it was the same about music. And this was mm -hmm. a way for us to really assimilate into American culture as well or learn about it. I grew up and I just, I would, I loved, loved. And one of my neighbors played guitar. Um, but I love sitting there listening to him sit on the couch and play. And so I started playing and I would sit and listen to everything from Bon Jovi, fulfilling stereotypes, not going beyond them of a Jersey girl. Um, but everything from Bon Jovi to Elton John to um, Elvis. And then, you know, that that's one of my most favorite things in the world is just to be able to go to concerts and listen to music. So this past year has been strange because normally I was getting to about 40 shows a year. And, and this, wow. this in the last 12 months now, I've been at, at one. Wow. And so do you guys have shows at your stadium? So we did. Um, and we did actually have a huge, a couple of huge tours planned to come through last summer. They were postponed to this summer. So we'll see what happens. Um, and then we had an amphitheater that hosts concerts every year, but the amphitheater is actually where the wrestling show has been parked since last March. Mm -hmm. Um, and so we're filming the show out of there and have not had concerts, but hopefully will in the coming months. So have you met anybody really interesting, any, any famous musicians and, you know, it, can you, do you have any fun stories you can tell us? Yes. My goodness. I am the most boring person that I interact with. Um, <laughs> there are so many, it, and it's, I don't really have, despite what I just said about being an introvert for whatever reason, I don't have too much like celebrity starstruckness because I, you know, I sort of just feel like, well, I can talk to anybody or everyone's made out of the same stuff. Exactly. Um, but so look, I will say that it's not, there's not even just some people like the, most interesting person that I've honestly ever met is Shad Khan. He, I've not ever met someone who is so sharp and knowledgeable about any topic, whether it's cars, which is his main business or shoes or wine or anything else. He's just one of the most learned people I've ever been around. And you can tell it's because he's very intellectually curious and also capable, but mm -hmm. so he, he's always prepared. He knows about, nearly every topic. And it's really fascinating to be around him and, and to watch him work and his son, um, Tony, who takes, takes after his dad and is running the wrestling business and has grown that company throughout a pandemic, which is remarkable. Um, but yeah, I mean, I got to meet my, when I was a kid, Poison came and played at um, a really small club near me. And I was a very, very good kid for the most part, but I remember sneaking out to go to Birch Hill to go see Poison play. And uh, they came through Daly's place and they were fantastic. So I grew up loving hair metal, which is also silly. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, meeting them and then having them be as kind as they were. And then on top of that, watching them go out there on the stage and just absolutely crush it was was phenomenal. But yeah, no, I've I've had a, more than my fair share of fun experiences with um, everyone from Mike Tyson to Snoop Dogg to Shaq. 
Amazing. And so are you still playing music and do you ever sit in with any of the musicians? So uh, the night before Daly's Place, which is what our amphitheater is called, opened, me and a few other employees actually went out there, plugged in and did a, uh, did a sound check. Uh-huh. Um, so we were, we were technically the first people to play out there. Um, but no, look, I stopped playing guitar for about 10 years just because of college and law school and work um, and picked it back up again in 2015. Um, March 5th, 2017, a friend of mine passed away. A year later, I remember thinking, growing up, he always said to me, you're really good at everything besides having fun, which is a fair (laughs) point. Like, I like doing everything, but I'm really bad at sitting still or relaxing or having fun. And so on the year anniversary of his death, I remember thinking, and I never played guitar in front of people before. I used to just play in my room quietly, like like the nerd that I was. Um, And the year anniversary of his death, I remember thinking, well, I can sit around and cry my eyes out all day. Or I can go do something fun. So that March 5th, 2018, I went and played for the first time a live set at a beach bar down the street. Um, And I will now be playing my fifth set of those on April 3rd, which is my birthday. So just in a couple of weeks. It was terrifying. That's the hardest thing that I do because I'm so nervous before I'm about to perform because it's just, it's not in me. And I have so much respect for people that that get up there and do it because it's it's nerve-wracking. And are you performing with a band or did you say? No, it's just me. It's a, yeah, it's an acoustic set that I do. A bunch of covers. That is so cool. Is it, is it recorded? Can we hear it? (laughs) Uh, Well, no, it's at a very, very small bar down the street. Oh, okay. (laughs) I will try. I will try and record a a couple of songs and send you a video. But yeah, tonight after this, I have book club with my niece and nephew. And then uh, I got to practice, practice the last uh, seven songs that I haven't practiced this week. Awesome. So any requests? <laughs> I'd have to think. How about Hotel California? That's really hard That's, on a guitar. That is a good one. I used to play that as a kid a lot. Really? So you're good. If you can play Hotel California, you're really good. Not not as good as they play it, but um, good enough. So let's talk about the South. Let's talk about yeah uh, this this overachieving uh, Indian girl living in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, and what what that that life is like. I know I have a cousin who lives down there. Um, I know it's very, at least the reputation is that it's it's very conservative. Um, it is. And so how how is that? How how do you uh, manage um, to feel comfortable? So look, growing up in New Jersey and then living in New York, what was interesting is that you know there's there's the type of diversity is more robust, right? Like there are many more nationalities there than just two. Whereas when I first moved here, I remember thinking it's interesting. This is the first place where I've lived where I feel like the bulk of the diversity is black and white. Mm -hmm. And I've never just, I've never been in a place like that before. So there is, and I don't mean this flippantly. I remember the first year that I was here thinking, I don't know that I've seen a single Asian person. Now, some of that is because I am boring and don't go anywhere and do anything, but (laughs) it is just true. Like there's just not, the diversity is much different. People tend, and it's interesting because when you think about where your power lies or just even, uh, you know, the nuances of how demographics affect you. I am an Indian person, but for the most part, people cannot tell that I'm Indian. I'm okay. also relatively fair skinned. So even within my own culture, I have sort of a, I, on this, and like on the side of privilege, because 
unfortunately, it is just true that light-skinned people get treated better right. around the, the caste system, cultures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting in that sense, because I think most people don't, don't know what I am and assume that I'm white and I'm tan because I live in Florida, but still not, not particularly dark. Um, I would say the other thing that's been really interesting down here is that there tends to be a bit of a fear of public spaces. Like they just, you know, there's a beautiful river here and there's not a contiguous river walk on it yet. There, they, it, the lot's changed since I've moved here, but it just feels like there's not necessarily that same willingness to embrace public spaces because of the quote unquote element that it'll bring in, which to mm-hmm. me is just people saying that, and I'm going to be really direct. It's just certain, certain white people saying we don't want other people mixing with us. Interesting. Um, it's the first place where I've lived where there's a lot of gated communities. Like I wasn't used to that. I'm, I'm used to being around people and different kinds of people. Um, and here's the first place where it feels like it's, you know, more separate. The other thing that's been strange, I would say, or is just different is that the, the way that sexism manifests itself is different here. It certainly exists up North, mm-hmm. but it is just, it's a little in your I, face, it's just more in your face. <laughs> yeah. That's what it's like. People will just straight up call you honey. And that's at some point, like you can work through that and get through that. But the number of times that I get called honey or deer is definitely different here. Um, people are also just less likely to assume that I am the person with my job. So mm-hmm. one of the things that was fascinating is that for a little while, when I did have a boyfriend that I'd bring around to work events, it's like I became invisible. Oh boy. Whereas if I entered the room by myself, um, you know, people then would engage with me and speak to me and talk to me about my job. But if I otherwise walked in the room with this man, it was like I disappeared and people just assumed that he had his, that he had the job and that I was just there as someone's wife. And that, that happens a lot. It's really, it's challenging. It makes dating challenging because you don't want to make it like, it's not that person's fault. Like it's not his fault that that halo effect exists and that people just expect that men are the ones with the job, but it also makes it really challenging to like have to just feel that way when it's like, you know, if I'm by myself, all of a sudden I'm on the same page and I'm talking to our GM and our team doc and the head of one of our sponsors. But if that person's there, it just changed the dynamic in a really difficult way. I've had that experience too, even in, in my job. Like I've, you know, I'm, I'm the head of diversity. And so I'll, I, when I first started, I would set up meetings and, and bring colleagues with me to meetings and I'd be the only black person in the meeting. I might've, you know, maybe I brought a, I might've brought a white woman or brought a, a, a white man. And even though I set up the meeting, I would find that the client wouldn't talk to me. They'd yeah. either talk to the the male, the man, or if if there was a white woman with me, they'd talk to her instead of talking to me. And, you know, it got to a point, kind of like you said, where I felt like, okay, this isn't working. So yeah. I think I'm going to have to roll solo here. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, at least at work events I do now, just because it's, you know, again, it's not, it's not whoever I'm with's fault, but the dynamic is there's a discernible shift and it's just like, it's, it got to be uncomfortable at some point or just frustrating that it's like, I don't, the point of the particular work event is actually to build working relationships. And if what's happening is that I'm being made to disappear, then I can't do that. I'm not achieving whatever it is that I'm supposed to achieve here in terms of building relationships with my coworkers. Exactly. Exactly. Or clients or whomever. And then, you know, the, the tough thing about that is, you know, it's not even something that you can necessarily explain to other people, you know, because the reaction 
you know, to it would be then, you know, are you not a team player? Um, yeah. Is it your issue? Um, uh, and it's, it's one of those things is really hard to explain how horrible it is to feel invisible. Yeah, that's right. And it's, it's, look, I certainly don't know what it's like to walk around in anyone else's skin, but I can accept that. Other right. people need to accept that they don't know what it's like to come in mind. Like just because your experience is not the same as mine does not make mine invalid. It just means that it's different. And that is why it's so important that we're able to listen to one another and empathize with one another. One of the most um, telling sort of moments for me on this, and it was a huge learning moment for me, was I, I just talked about the night before the amphitheater opened. That same night, which was obviously the culmination of a lot of months of very hard work, our director of player engagement, and I'm telling this story with his permission, I've told it before, our director of player engagement, who's black, played in the NFL for 14 years, um, wealthy, was driving to see family, had his kids in the car, got pulled over, turned out that his registration was expired, got put in handcuffs, <gasps> got taken to whatever, like wherever the jail was, and called me. And I... Th remember thinking in that moment, and in part it was a function of just being a little bit tired and not being as sensitive as I should have been, but I, what I said to him was, why wasn't your registration up to date? Mm. And sort of blamed him for the situation that he was in. Just about a year later, I was coming back from London and rushing home to go meet a friend. This is like 10 p.m. There's a speed trap uh, over the bridge here on the way home from the airport. I usually know to break, but I didn't because I was a little bit tired. I got pulled over. I was in a friend's car because he was borrowing my car to move. The officer comes over to a girl who's clearly exhausted looking from flying all day in a car that's not hers, cannot find the registration of the car, goes and grabs my license. And he goes, do you know that there's a hit on your license? I said, why? He goes, your registration's expired. And he goes, all right, sweetie, I'm going to give this back to you. I shouldn't mm. be letting you go, but go home and get that taken care of as soon as possible. And in that moment, I was like, that, wow. I was like, that is just not fair. Like what happened to Marcus is just not fair. Because it should right. not be that I'm in a car that's not even mine, fumbling around looking for stuff in a glove box and nothing happened. And I got told to go home and get it taken care of as quickly as possible. And, you know, he got put in handcuffs. Like it was just such a stark realization for me that like, you know, it don't be so quick to judge that. And look, yeah, both of us should have not let our registration expired, right. to be clear. But but that is just not his fault of what happened to him. And I should have had way more empathy for him than I did in the moment. Um, and we talk about it to this day. We we similarly talk about how I uh, I tend to sort of like keep my distance from people and back away from them, whereas he's more of like an affectionate person. And he asked me sort of why that is. I was like, because when you are six four and your size, you're not worried about anybody hurting you. It's like, that's why you're not as like aware of your surroundings. Like, but I am. Um, but look, it's good that we're able to have that conversation and learn from each other as opposed to not talking about it at all. And that's why I started this podcast because I wanted to be able to have those, those conversations, have people uh, be able to listen to the experiences and, you know, live vicariously basically through people and their experiences and understand that, you know, you can have all the, the education in the world. You can go to the best schools. Um, you can do everything right uh, and still be treated unfairly or yeah. unequally just based on, you know, how you look or, you yeah. know, who you are. I mean, Marcus is a public figure. 
he's he's famous. He was in the league for years, and he got put in handcuffs, and I got told to go home. Like it just it was it was really really sad to realize that that that's the reality of where we live, and that's the reality of twenty. 18 and 2019 like that was just devastating but I mean look this summer has also I think resurfaced a lot of you know things that people were just not willing to talk about or not wanting to focus on and so I did read somewhere that um you you uh, a few years ago witnessed a woman uh being uh, mistreated and that you actually you know, back then, uh, decided to be an upstander and come to her rescue. Do you mind telling that story? Yeah. So I was, um, I was actually at the office. There was a, uh, feature concert at the amphitheater. I told a few friends, a few colleagues that I would drive them home if they drank. Um, as I go to work late and I will, uh, I'll bring you guys home. So I was actually working out in the office um, and then around like 10 o'clock, the concert let out. And so I grabbed our equipment intern and I told him I would take him home because we live near each other. So he's sitting in the car with me and we pull out of the stadium and I'm in neon colored workout clothes. And I'll explain <laughs> why that matters in a minute. But um, I, we stopped at a traffic light. The windows are down. It's a nice day. And I heard, I saw just out of the corner of my eye, like what didn't look quite right. Like it was jarring in the first instance. I was like, I can't be seeing what I'm seeing, but it looked like a man hitting a woman with a bottle of vodka. Mm. And so I then turned and looked again and I saw him sort of dragging her by her hair. So I turned to our equipment and turned and I said, stay right here. I was like, I'm going to get out of the car and I will be right back. He's like, don't do it. I was like, I'm going to do it. I was like, and it, he was by no means drunk, but like had been drinking enough where he was, I was like, just stay in the car. Like, just don't, it's not worth right. it. Don't help. Like, this is like, there's a reason why, yeah. Like there's a reason why I'm driving you home. I'm good with that. That was the plan. But I was like, just stay right there. I jumped out of the car while at this traffic light, grabbed her. She, because she was very disoriented, but because of what I was wearing was so bright. She told me the next day, she sort of realized what was happening. I'm also really glad that I had him stay in the car because she wasn't threatened at all when I approached her. Mm -hmm. Grabbed her, put her in my backseat, called our director of security and said, hey, I'm just a block away from the stadium. I told him what happened. I was like, can you help me figure it out? He's like, yeah. He's like, actually, the police are still here because the concert's just letting out. Why don't you bring her back over this way? I left her with the police. The man had thrown her car keys so she couldn't even... um, like get to her car and go home. So the officers that I left her with said, okay, we'll help her find her car keys. We'll make sure that she gets home. And I said, look, I was like, I'm not going to sleep tonight unless I know that like you're home. Like, do you mind just giving me your number and your name? She's like, and just texting. I was like, when, when you know that you're okay. And she was like, you really don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. I was like, please, please do. So she gives, she gives me a name. She gives me your number. I get back in my car now and I'm about to drive the two of us home. And he looks at me and he goes, we know her. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, I don't know how yet, but we know her. It's like, okay. I came home. I was a little bit rattled, but I came home. She did text saying that she was okay. I went to bed. The next morning, I'm sitting in our executive meeting, and I get a text from from this equipment intern, and it's a picture of one of our cheerleaders, and it's her. And I I had no idea um, that night before. She did give me a fake name just because she was so – she knew who I was because I do training for them. I just didn't didn't recognize her in the moment, and – She's one of ours. So I was sitting in my office and our director of cheerleading comes over and she said, hey, you know, this this girl told me what happened last night. Do you mind if we just come to your office and talk to you for a minute? And I said, sure. 
And so she came to my office and she sat there. And I think because she didn't have to re-explain the trauma because I'd actually seen it, mm-hmm. she felt like just more comfortable sitting with me. And then she started talking about how she had like a ringing in her ears and about, you know, some bruises on her. And I was like, look, I was like, you don't have to do anything with this, but why don't we go to the doctor right now and just let them collect evidence? And so we spent the entire next day together. I took her to the doctor. She's like, I know that you're really busy. I was like, there's nothing more important that I have to do than this right now and making sure that you're okay. Um, but so then she went on and she talked about it and she's, uh, she, she ended up leaving that boyfriend, which I don't even know if they were dating at the time. I think it might've been her next boyfriend, but, um, she ended up leaving that boyfriend and she's still on our team. And I just remember thinking, you know, I, I have no idea why I jumped out of the car other than knowing that, you know, if it was happening to me, I would want someone to help. Exactly. And I'm so, so glad that I did because I, and I can't tell you that I necessarily would have, but for this, I ended up in a relationship that wasn't particularly good. Um, and I remember there were many moments where I thought, man, I just wish that like someone would help me get out of this. And a boyfriend after that one said, you know, he's like, what you went through was really unfair. He's like, but what's going to happen is that you're going to figure out a way to help other people based on your experience. And that always resonates with me. Cause it's like, yes, like we all go through some, some tough times, but his perspective was so great. And that I jumped out and helped her is probably just a function of the fact that if that was me, I would want someone to help but there was no real good thought that went into it at all right um, <laughs> it was but, just yeah. instinct <laughs> yeah no but sometimes if your instinct's telling you to jump out of the car jump out of the car and sometimes your instinct tells you to stay in the car and you should yep. stay in the car but yeah. but i'm you know I, I i'm glad you were willing to tell that story because i think it it's especially these days you know we're all talking about you know not being bystanders and being an upstander and, and figuring out, you know, how you can, um, uh, help someone who in, in the moment and when they need it. Um, and I think that's a, that, that's a great, uh, illustration of that. You know, it's funny cause I wrote down the word cheerleaders a while back cause I wanted to talk about cheerleaders. And since you brought up, um, that she was one, I, I understand that the NFL is going to start having male cheerleaders. I mean, are you guys thinking about do that? I know there's been a lot of controversy about, you know, sexism and, and uh, harassment and all that in the, in the um, uh, league in general. And, and how is that going to affect cheerleaders? So at the collegiate level, there already are male cheerleaders. The right. LA Rams have male cheerleaders and our auditions are open. So we could, we, we have had men audition in the past. They've not made it for performance reasons, but we're actually, we're open to it. Um, I don't, you know, it's funny. You're asking how that changes things. I I think one of the goals of 2021 ought to be let everyone just be themselves, like stop using their gender or their race or their age as a proxy for what it is that you think that they're capable of. Like that, that ought to be dismantled, like judge people based on the quality of who they are and what they're able to provide and not what they, what, what you assume based on what they look like. Um, and so look, I don't, I think that it's going to change it for the better. And it's strange to me that like, there's a conflation sometimes I think of human rights and politics, like people act as though equal employment opportunity is somehow a political issue is right. not like there's it's nothing to be debated issue. there yeah we had um our manager of hr posted on international women's day last year um and it was her at the stadium 
And she got a comment on social media that was like, just talk about football. Stop talking about like women's rights. And it's like, she was like, should I take this down? Is it controversial? It's like, no, it's not controversial to advocate for the fact that it is true that women work in a football team. Some of the women are cheerleaders, not all of them. And we, it's interesting. It's like the most flattering and frustrating question to get at the same time when people like ask who I work for, I tell them, and then they're many people's first question is, are you a cheerleader? It's like, I right. appreciate that you think that, but I'm not capable of being a cheerleader, actually. <laughs> um, last year at one of our games, one of our fans that I was walking by said, um, you should be a cheerleader, thinking that that was a compliment. And I remember turning to him and I said, actually, I'm just a lawyer. So <laughs> good for you. Good for you. So that brings up the the gender um, situation. And I know that things are coming around, you know, there are now, uh, referees who are, uh, female, there are coaches who are female. Um, how is that playing out, uh, on your team? Yeah. So we, um, we make an active effort to constantly monitor what it is that our demographics at the company are. So mm-hmm. we just, I think constantly monitoring and making sure, cause you may think that you're doing well and then actually not be doing as well as you think that you are. Exactly. Um, and then I really, really fight hard to make sure that we post for every job. Even if we think we know someone for it, the worst case scenario is that you waste a day. Who cares? Right. That's fine. Like it's not like hiring someone's going to be that quick, but I really try to post for every job because that's the only way where you're going to start having diverse candidates. The referral network really helps keep just the same people cycling through team after team after team. And I don't think that's good for the organization. I don't think it's good for diversity as a whole. Our um, director of diversity and inclusion, just on Monday, we were reviewing the plan that she was putting in place for helping us achieve greater parity across demographics in terms of pay and also just, so not just roles at the company, but also pay. Um, and so I think that constant reflexive evaluation is important and then structurally posting and hiring slow so that you give non-traditional candidates time to emerge is really critical. And that's a, that's a really difficult thing because managers always want to hire as quickly as possible because they think they're going to drown and, and not be able to do their jobs without the role being filled as quickly as possible. But hiring slow, I think, is critical towards achieving greater diversity. And then we in... 2016, I want to say, was the first time that we did it, Um, maybe 2017, we started having the hard conversations at work. So things that they tell you to avoid talking about at the office, we are talking about now. It was after the Vegas shooting was the first time where me and two coworkers were all sitting around, we're trying to do work. And we were almost like, maybe around like 11 a.m. It's like, I'm wildly distracted. I don't know about you guys, but like, I'm not getting anything (laughs) done today. Can we just talk about this? And they're like, yeah. And so they're like, we are too. Like, we really just can't focus on anything. It was, and Tom Petty had died that that day after as well. And it was just, we were just, we ended up spending most of the workday, for better or worse, just talking about it. Now, what would have happened otherwise? Would we have been wildly productive employees? No, we would have just been distracted at our desks, googling it, and not talking about it. So what we do now is that we have conversations, and we've had one. We'll break the entire company up into groups of about ten, and then have hour-long discussions with them about things. And we try to cut across level, cut across gender, cut across um, experience. And we've had conversations about harassment in the workplace, what Mm -hmm. people have experienced and what they can do. One of the most stark things that came out of that was our younger male employees felt like they didn't really have anybody to go report things to when it happened to them. 
Um, and so we were able to put some structures in place. Our cheerleaders had actually identified some instances where um, it's difficult for them when they're in uniform to sort of push back if someone's behaving inappropriately. And so we started adding in a plain clothes cheerleader with them on all of their appearances so that if you need someone to intervene, they're like, we just don't want to hurt the brand. And so we feel uncomfortable being rude to fans if we need to be. Um, and so we added in a plain clothes cheerleader to help with um, them manage that to the extent that a situation gets to be difficult. Um, and then we did the same set of conversations about race, um, which were powerful in terms of people just sharing their stories and understanding the experiences of others over the summer. And then this year, we're going to do it um, about ethics and moral reasoning. So that should be um, an interesting discussion to have because we had some issues, instances where because people were working remote, they weren't necessarily being as compliant as they would otherwise, you know, be if they were in the office because no one was watching them. So right. we're going to have a conversation about ethics and, and moral principles this coming summer. And my hope is that it helps people just sort of live with a greater consciousness. You know, one of the things that you said earlier was about um, somebody saying to you or, or saying to somebody, just, just uh, worry about football you know, you and I have talked before about, you know, the comments from um, the media telling uh, athletes to to just just play football. Don't don't talk about politics and and all that. What what's your position on that? I, I think that people ought to have a voice and I'm a fan of, um, you know, I may not like everything that I hear, but I would rather have people be able to say what they want within the reasonable boundaries of truth, right? I'm all, all about stopping hate speech because what we've learned, I think, is that what happened with the prior administration is that it all of a sudden gave people, I think, a license to be just overtly racist. Right. And it, it is absolutely not okay. Like my, you know, we are not, my parents are Indian. They are not the people that are being targeted right now. But I right remember now. the moment- Right. I remember the moment, though, where I was like, you know, my dad's going into New York City. He is a 73 year old man. And I feel like, I don't love what his safety is compared to what it feels like it was, you know, five, 10 years ago. It's just, it, and I was talking to a girl that I went to high school with last night um, and her mom, similar. She's like, you know, she's like, I'm just worried about my mom in a way that I never really felt like I had to be before. So I think all that said, I would rather have people be able though to say, especially speaking out against things like this, even if they're athletes, because it's the right thing to do. This is what we are talking about earlier. These aren't controversial positions. You should not get shot just because you're an older Asian American person, period, right. full stop. That's not speaking out about something like that anyone ought to have a different opinion against. And if our athletes who are unbelievably high profile are able to share that message, good. If our athletes are out there encouraging people to get vaccinated, good, right? Like that, they right. ought to do that. And then if someone says something wrong or misspeaks, okay, like you're going to have that, right? That give people the permission to also be imperfect like they're not going to necessarily say the right thing all the time that's okay say you're sorry say you learned something right that's better than not saying anything at all but no i don't it it frustrates me when people act as though the only thing that athletes are capable of is performing on the field like no they're dynamic human beings as well they're complex they're allowed to have opinions well and the the thing i i say now especially this week is you know speak up you know yes silence is loud <laughs> the conspiracy of silence is why we've had unchecked harassment and assault and racism for years. 
Because everyone says, don't talk about it. It's too uncomfortable. Yes, it's uncomfortable to talk about it. It was uncomfortable to jump out of the car. But you know what? Like the, it, like you said, the silence itself speaks volumes, which is that we're okay with this. Exactly. Well, you know what? I could talk to you forever. I'm going to ask you one last question. Sure. Um, and it's a question that that I pretty much, well, I, I want to ask you two more questions. One what what did you, what do you feel makes you uniquely you and what would what about you would you not want i mean obviously you're not going to give up yourself but what is one thing that you just hang on to that makes you uniquely you so everyone's unique i would say that what i've learned about myself over the last 12 months which has been hard at times but certainly not as hard as it's been for other people is that I genuinely feel like I'm at the point where I had to learn this past year how when you, and I'm a planner and I'm organized (laughs) and I'm proactive, when you cannot do those things because the world is constantly shifting around you, can you be agile and adapt? Yep. And I feel like that's really in this moment, that's a skill that I really had to work on adjusting this year. I feel like I can. And I also feel like at this point, and I don't mean this in any, look, people are different. I feel like, and I'm very glad to be a lot of people's anchors. So like when other people are upset or hurting or need help, they come to me and I'm glad for that. I totally, totally can, can, uh, uh, understand that being that person. And one of the things that people ask me, what, what have I learned this year? Uh, or this past year's, or what have I tried to do this past year? And and I, I tell them, because I, I like keeping it short and sweet. And I just say, look, I've been trying to per- perfect resiliency. You know, that's yeah. my, my goal is to figure out how to per- perfect resiliency, because you, you cannot control what comes your no. way. So, and, and really, in life, the only thing you can tr- only person you can control is you. And really the only thing you can control is your reactions to the things that are thrown right. at you. Well, I am so glad. And thank you so much for being here to be us with me today. And um, thanks to everyone for listening. And do you, do you have one more thing you want to, do you have any like parting words you want to give us? Oh gosh, that's a lot of pressure. Um, No, I'm going to actually echo something that you said, which is that it's time to speak up because the silence speaks volumes in and of itself. Find your voice and use it where you need to, to help other people. Thank you so much, Mega, for being here with us today. I promise I'm going to check in on you. And um, until the next episode, everybody, remember that everybody is different and different is good. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about! Wait! Okay now, from the beginning. We hope you enjoyed the stories shared in today's episode of BS, Beyond Stereotypes. Join us next time when another authentic personality unleashes their uniqueness on the world.